community. I guess today is Jenny Lim Records. Uh, Jenny Lim, first of all, thank you for gracing us with your presence. I'm very, you are very, very welcome. <laughs> very happy that you joined us. Um, yes. So, so you obviously are are an expert in nutrition and in gut health. And our evil plan here at uh, Biohacking Beauty Podcast is to have people improve their health, optimize their health through the lens of having better skin, you know, kind of to entice people to, to have better health because we're telling them that it's going to improve their skin. Right. And you as a gut expert, as a, uh, as a nutrition expert, how would you convince someone to take care of their gut health and their nutrition by, you know, convincing them that it's going to improve their skin? Yes. I love this question because so a lot of people don't know that there's a high correlation between gut health and skin health. You know, mm -hmm. I figured this out. So there, yeah, there's definitely a thing called, especially when you talk about the microbiome, which I'll talk about a lot during this episode, mm -hmm. the microbiome. When I say that a lot of people think just, Oh, your gut bacteria. That's like the first response I ever got. If people know what it is, yeah. they're like, Oh, your gut bacteria. And I'm like, no, this is your bacteria everywhere. So anywhere that you have a orifice or, or interaction with the outside world, you're going to have a microbiome because mm -hmm. it's part of your like immune response, right? So your skin is a barrier. It's a huge barrier that protects you from the outside world as far as bacteria, viruses that are more like pathogenic that would maybe meant to hurt us, you know? Mm -hmm. So even if you think about it, I mean, think about you get a cut and then it heals like magically. How does that heal? Well, the microbiome and the immune system start working together to heal the adhesion, right? so that you don't get an infection and they have yeah. all these like things in place. And a lot of people don't understand, like I said, when you think about the microbiome, it's not just gut. Yeah. There's a huge density of it in your large intestine, but you actually have a huge of it in your skin. Like there's a huge yeah. microbiome, literally environment all in your skin, your mouth, your ears, your nose, like all of this. So if you have dysfunctional microbiome, you usually will have dysfunctional skin. Mm -hmm. That's like what I learned. So I, I personally, had a lot of gut issues when I was a teenager and along with it came acne, right? Because when you have gut issues, acne is way more likely to happen. And everyone's like, oh, it's hormonal. And then try, you know, whatever. They try to send me the dermatologist and they usually recommend Accutane, which I'm like, I definitely advise against. I luckily didn't get on it, but I, I, I had to go on this journey of understanding, oh, wait. So if I have like dysfunction in my gut and my microbiome, it's definitely going to come across through my skin. And yeah. you see this a lot with autoimmune diseases. You see a lot of, I see more popping up of like psoriasis, eczema, you know, these skin issues that are autoimmune because you have a dysfunctional microbiome. There's a high stress response. There's high inflammation. Usually there's leaky gut. So mm -hmm. it's like, that's going to be, if you think about it on the inside, if I have a lot going on inflammation wise, it's usually, it's going to push through my skin. You have pores, you know what I yeah. mean? So it's like, if, unless, until you address really the dysfunctional microbiome, it's really hard to have good skin. <laughs> I mean, I it's a pretty clear connection. Yeah. I agree. First of all, yes, I, I love the connection that you made between our microbiome in the gut and the microbiome that we have in our skin, in our, in our mouth, wherever that may be. First of all, if we talk about acne, which obviously most of our listeners are not experiencing acne, but some of them do. And if you talk about acne or any type of, uh, effect of a bad bacteria in our body, that bacteria needs to have a place to grow, right? So I can tell you like my personal experience, which I don't think I've shared before. I've had uh, an infection in my leg, you know, in my early 20s, and I had to go basically two months on an antibiotics. And I've never had acne before, never had any gut issues. And that completely obviously destroyed my gut. Start, yeah. I started to have acne breakouts, uh, among other things, uh, inflammation that I've never had before. And that is one of the reasons that I got into that, into this health journey that led us here today. But why does this happen? Because when you're killing off all the bacteria that you have with antibiotics, what is going to grow later on, what is going to fill that void is obviously random, right? Or yeah. is less controlled. And the same thing goes with acne it, if we just look at the skin microbiome, right? Or the bacteria on your skin. When, I, when we use the word microbiome, that means like the bacteria, the life that is going on in, on our skin like this, these multitude of organisms that just live on our skin and, and live in synergy with us. Mm -hmm. And 
when P. acne bacteria, which is a specific bacteria, is present, it means that it had a place to grow. If we cultivated like the perfect mi microbiome in our skin, it means it wouldn't be there to begin with, or there would be very low amounts of it. And that would mean that we wouldn't have acne. Like it's just a specific bacteria that is allowed to grow there. Yes. And of course, there is a direct correlation between what we have. So we... The, the way I, I heard someone explain it and I really liked it is basically that we are a sleeve, right? There is a hole, one in our mouth, one obviously down there, <laughs> our uh, anus, and everything that goes between those is going into the tube. It's not actually in, we're like a donut more or less. And <laughs> I like this. <laughs> and basically the gut is like this doorman in a nightclub, basically, like trying to figure out who should go in, who shouldn't go in. Who are we allowing in, right? And if they're doing their job well, only the beneficial aspects of obviously the food that we're eating, et cetera, are going to go in and whatever is not is going to get secreted. But things, most of the time, if we're not functioning optimally, things can go wrong, right? So what, what are you seeing, you know, pop very, very common in, in people, let's say, that live in the United States? What's very common? Yeah. This question, it's like a loaded question because there's so yeah. many gut dysfunctions going on. Mm -hmm. The main ones I see right now are leaky gut is mm -hmm. highly common. I mean, it's like, you got to think about, we can go into that, but the reasons are stress can cause leaky gut. I mean, I think mm -hmm. we're all highly stressed, you know, unless you learn techniques of how to manage stress, we're in a stressful environment. You know what I mean? Like if you don't pay attention to, you have news on and we had a pandemic and fear and mongering and all this stuff. It's like, you put yourself in pretty much a sympathetic fight or flight place, which puts you more at risk for leaky gut, you know? And then also alcohol consumption, I know went up a lot in 2020. Alcohol can cause leaky gut too. You know what I mean? So I think I'm seeing the perfect storm right now for leaky gut, which mm -hmm. is for those that you don't know, I'll explain it super fast. So in your intestines, your small intestine in particular, you got to remember this is like 23 to 26 feet in length. It's huge depending mm -hmm. on your height, you know? And you have all this, this, this tissue that is supposed to be tight, tight junctions like you said, that allows things in or allows things out, right? But when you have leaky gut, these junctions are loose and they're letting things out and in that shouldn't be there. So like you can actually eat a healthy food like almonds. And if you have leaky gut, it can actually go out into your bloodstream. And then your immune system wants to attack it like a foreign invader. Cause it's like, yo, you're undigested food. You're not supposed to be in the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. So you can develop these food allergies to healthy foods, even not even talking about gluten yet like to almonds or to bananas or whatever, you can develop these food allergies because you had leaky gut, you had a response from a food and now your immune system develops mm. antibodies towards that food and it remembers, oh, this food was problematic. I need to attack the food again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of people don't know you can actually heal a lot of food sensitivities by healing leaky gut. Mm -hmm. um, you can retest, you can do like a Cyrex Labs food sensitivity test and you can retest after you've healed leaky gut. And like, I've had people that had like 20 items that came up and then had like two items come up. It's really yeah. incredible. So leaky gut, I'm seeing a lot. So like I said, when you have those, those loose junctions, food can go through. And then think about it this way. You're pretty much causing inflammation every time you eat. And that's the mm -hmm. problem. So I have people with leaky gut. They have a lot of fatigue, like chronic fatigue, because uh -huh. every time they're eating, instead of getting energy from it, they're causing an immune response. Mm -hmm. And they're causing inflammation. So like brain fog comes up really heavy as a symptom, chronic fatigue, sleep issues, depression and anxiety, like mental health issues. Because me and you know, you have a gut brain axis and everything yeah. that goes on my gut is going to affect my brain. They're directly connected all the time. It's like a bilateral system. So they're always communicating with each other. So just so you guys know, for every like one signal that your brain sends to your gut, your gut sends nine signals up to your brain. So I, I know I heard the gut referred to as the second brain. I'm like, I almost yeah. like would argue it's the first brain sometimes because it's sending a lot of signals to the brain to let it know, hey, this is my environment. So yeah. if you have a highly inflammatory environment like leaky gut, you're going to have brain fog. I mean, it just totally makes sense. It's like, yeah, you're not going to have the best mental health because your body's pretty inflamed, you know? Yeah. Plus glyphosate, if people aren't familiar with glyphosate, it's a Roundup, it's a pesticide killer. It's sprayed on so many crops, heavily on wheat, corn, and soy. So that's a lot of reason I avoid wheat, corn, and soy and uh -huh. other reasons too. But you want to avoid glyphosate because glyphosate in research has literally been directly shown to increase gut permeability, which is uh -huh. like I said, those loose junctions. So 
there, I mean, you got to just do some measures to protect yourself against these things that are happening right now, you know? So, so leaky guts really, really prominent. Like I said, you can have leaky gut with other gut issues too. And that's what I'm seeing a little bit more. I'd say probably leaky guts, like the most common thing I'm seeing, because you will see, like I said, autoimmune's been popping up too. That's kind of leaky gut, you know, skin issues. They're pretty highly correlated, but leaky gut. And then oftentimes what will kind of come with leaky gut Mm -hmm. is dysbiosis in general. So dysbiosis is just like an imbalance of good and bad bacteria. So it could be the main two that I'm seeing right now are candida, which is a yeast overgrowth. It's a We all have levels of candida. That's one thing you got to realize, but there's a difference between someone with normal levels and an overgrowth. And when you create an environment that's like inflammatory, leaky gut, high blood sugar, you pretty much create an environment for candida to overgrow. So I thought it was interesting. I heard an expert talking about candida the other day, and he said it's estimated that one third of America right now has a candida overgrowth, one third. And you know what I find interesting is, you know, also is one third of this country right now is pre-diabetic. So you definitely see a connection with blood sugar regulation issues and candida come in because you got to realize candida, they eat glucose. That's like their fuel. So you fuel them every time you're eating carbs, sugar, especially simple sugars they love. And then what's scary about candida is they actually, so just so you guys know, the microbiome is an endocrine making system meaning mm-hmm. they can make hormones. This is just being like discovered in research right now, which I think is highly fascinating. So candida can actually make hormones to make you want more sugar. Like yeah. they can create a sugar addiction. And then I have clients that are like, dude, I'm just, I have no willpower at night. I just want to eat all the sugar and the candy and my kids candy. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And to me, I'm like, that screams candida. It's like, if you don't feel like you have willpower and your sugar addiction is so strong, that you'll just like dive into anything. Like that's like your brain's been hijacked, you know? Well, in general, I feel like cravings or a relationship with food is really the relationship of our, the the microbiome that we have in our gut and food. It's it's almost like we are only the, only employing judgment, whether, you know, whether it's good or, or lack of judgment, but we're only there to employ judgment. Like all the signals, what we want to eat, what we're craving for, etc. That is all really the bacteria that we've cultivated until that point. Basically, you know, cueing the brain, cueing our body, what it is lacking. But if we have, obviously, if we cultivated the wrong bacteria, it's going to cue that it needs different things than, than, than what we really need. And, and that is obviously a first step in unraveling that, that, you know, that puzzle, whatever we want to call it. Because really, in my opinion, no one has the perfect gut. If someone has the perfect gut, it, it is really fragile, let's say it like that, because we're talking about relationship between good bacteria, bad bacteria, different, you know, different pathogens that might have come in, you know, with food that we're eating. It is really like a like a very well orchestrated dance, right? Yes. So we should probably be treating ourselves in air quote, like we have gut like increased gut permeability leaky gut all the time anyway to a certain extent right like and that would probably be the smartest way to cultivate our gut health which in my opinion is really where everything starts from because as you said it is the place that we also derive all the nutrients that we need so everything that we need to function really starts at the gut we've had a a uh, very interesting live with the founder of Microbiome Labs. And we were talking about how, you know, gut permeability really is the base for many of the, of what ails our society, right? The, um, whether it is like aggression, people feeling down, people feeling depressed, all of those things really started in, in our gut. Like I think in the United States and in the Western world in general, we would be solving a lot of the issues that we have if we start in in the gut. And there is a reason that, you know, there is something called gut healing, that there is a reason that we refer to it as something that gives us input, because it really does. And science kind of catches on to this now, but it's something that has been, we've known intuitively for forever. And unfortunately, 
you know, as we as we progress and as we try and biohack the world, because really what Western society is, is if we like dial it back and back and back, we're looking at nature, nature, and we're trying to biohack it, strip all the things that are, you know, bad for us, and leave only the good. But along the way, we're actually making a lot of mistakes, right? Yes. And these mistakes, everything that almost everything that is coming in packaged form, is a type of the world trying to refine a certain aspect of nutrition, whether it's just the taste or whether it is something that's actually good for you, most of the time it is going to be lacking and we're probably should, we probably should be avoiding it. Do, do you agree with me that? that yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, well, I think you just hit a big thing on the head that like the problem is our food has been stripped of fiber, really, mm -hmm. like which feeds our bacteria. So like if you look at most processed foods, they have like no fiber in them. You know, even traditional bread used to actually have high fiber and now they take mm -hmm. out the fiber so they can pretty much just leave the wheat germ and the glucose. So it's like you just yeah. get a big glucose spike without any of the benefits of fiber that actually feed your bacteria and slow down blood sugar. So I'm seeing a, that a lot right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we're getting slightly away from microbiome specifically and where we have been talking about we have mentioned glucose a few times and i think in general glucose is one of the things or if we want to kind of give ourselves like a grade of how well we're managing aging or managing longevity whatever we want to look at it as we should really be looking at our relationship with glucose and glucose spikes and insulin secretion because I give this example sometimes and I'm trying to make a better, like trying to refine the example that I'm giving, but really our body has evolved to be in two states, in an abundant state or in a lax state. So think of a lion, okay? Think of a, like an apex lion that has taken control of the territory that he's now, you know, the main person or the main animal there. This is a line that is in obviously an abundant state, right? He can he can get a lot of food whenever he needs, etc. His only role genetically at that point is to spread his seed as much as possible. So it's going to expend actually all of its resources, all of them. He is not interested in living for you know 10 more years. What he's interested in is taking that opportunity because he doesn't know how long it's going to last and just spread his seed as much as possible. What happens is, is his body in, metaphorically is, is basically running the engine on red, all right? If we take another line that's maybe, you know, biding his time, he's not the, the main line there. He, his body, because it, he is getting cues of, of lack, he's not getting enough nutrients or he's not getting, he, he doesn't get enough calories per se. His body is like in, in survival mode and like, I'm going to preserve myself the best way that I can so I can enjoy that opportunity later on. So I'm going to basically like hibernate all of those, all of those long or, or activate all of those longevity pathways so I can keep myself in, in a suboptimal state, but close to op optimal state for longer. And the main the main cue or the main relationship with obviously so before i get to that obviously what we want to do is to kind of because we what we do want to live until you know 90 100 years old but look and feel like we're 50 we do want to kind of engage those survival mechanisms that those longevity mechanisms so we need to cue our body that we're we're, we're not in abundance all the time and the main thing that signals abundance is, you know, obviously the glucose, like glucose makes you, makes your body want to grow, perform the, to its optimal level. But unfortunately it is also cueing or suppressing longevity mechanisms. Yes. And do you like the idea of continuous glucose monitoring that a lot of people, if, if you, if someone walks in the street and, and he sees people with like a patch on the back of their hand, it can be because they're diabetic, but it also can be like a longevity strategy that a lot of people are, you know, looking into now as far as measuring how well they're doing. Are you, are you supporting that? Yes. I actually really support all glucose monitoring right now. Yeah. 
I think the CGM, so it's continuous glucose monitor. Yeah. It, it's really cool because it's in live time. So I've had some clients get it at least for like a month or two. Mm-hmm. Um, NutriSense actually sent me one a few months ago and I even wore it. I have good blood sugar, but I just wanted to see. Yeah. You know what I found very interesting is I know that obviously sugar is going to raise my blood glucose, right? I know if I eat carbs, it's going to raise my blood glucose. What I, I wasn't necessarily surprised, but it was cool to see in data is that like, if I didn't have good sleep the night before Mm -hmm. my baseline was higher the next day. So my baseline, like most days when I would check it, it'd be like 85, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, pretty good baseline. And I'd wake up at 85 and there was a couple days where I just got not as good as sleep. I went to sleep late, you know, didn't manage my bedroom bedtime routine. Like I normally do. And I woke up and it was like, I think 97 or something. So I saw Mm -hmm. like literally a 10 point, 12 point increase just from not getting sleep. And then also seeing how stress affects your blood sugar. So you have to think about it's, it really makes sense evolutionary wise. If I'm in a stress state, straight state, if I'm in a fight or flight sympathetic, you know, place, Mm -hmm. my body's like, oh, you need resources to run away from Mm -hmm. this tiger. So of course it's going to increase your blood glucose. So you can have energy to like fight or flight. Right. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense, but I don't think people realize on a daily basis, sometimes the roller coaster they're sending their blood glucose on because of activating that sympathetic nervous system quite a bit. Yeah. I personally see a huge correlation between the stress response that's not very good, well managed right now with us and blood sugar irregulation, faster aging. I mean, you know what the stress response does if you're continually in that, res- that state quite often. Yeah. So I, I found that interesting with blood sugar to see how stress and sleep affected it. Cause I tell people, even if you're on a ketogenic diet, it doesn't always mean you have super low blood sugar. You yeah. might have other things playing into it that you're not, you know, and we understand that insulin is like, it's a huge signaling molecule for aging and anti-aging. I mean, yeah. if you can control insulin, everything just changes. And we're seeing a lot of these metabolic diseases coming out stronger, you know, like Alzheimer's, diabetes, cancer, you know, like all these, these metabolic diseases. And I definitely feel like they're tied to mismanagement of blood sugar. It's not the only factor, but it's a, it's a big factor. Well, you know, a lot of what I about or not like, but what I think is important to understand about blood sugar levels and monitoring them is it is a really good way to get, to get a score to your general approach to longevity, or not even consciously, but as you said, things that are going to age us are most of the time also going to affect our our blood sugar levels. So again, like sleep, stress, even things like when are we working out, we can get like a clue, when is it better for us to work out, wake sleep times, I mean like mouth taping, and you can think about hyperbaric chamber, sauna, cold exposure, anything that lowers inflammation, all of those things are going to be expressed in your body's ability to prevent spikes of blood blood sugar levels. And another way to explain it is like hypothetical and feasible survival. What I mean by that is, let's say we're taking something that like metformin or like resveratrol or like turmeric, or we're doing intermittent fasting, okay? All of those things are cueing the body that it, it, it needs to basically preserve itself because there is a possibility that later on it's going to need resources. So right now what it's going to do, it's going to basically like make itself, you know, survive at the best state until that is going on. Then there is feasible survival. I, ha- I didn't get enough sleep. As you said, you know, the, the lion's going to, or the tiger's going to be chasing me. I'm stressed. Whatever is an overwhelming amount of cues to the brain, to the body, that it needs to recruit a lot of resources in order to fight something feasible, that it's going, that's going to be when we're going to be sacrificing those longevity pathways, molecules, reservoirs, whatever. So we can even talk about like the relationship between poor gut permeability and white hair, like things that that are going to be quite a journey to explain. But if you think about it, you have increased gut permeability, you're getting undigested or partially digested like um, food into your bloodstream, or you're getting higher levels of acidity in your bloodstream. 
and you're getting your immune response activated and you're getting basically higher inflammation and you're getting more blood sugar there and you are creating more stress in your body. That stress is, is, is obviously affecting cortisol levels, which are now heightened. And that hormone cortisol, which, in, which is interesting about it, it literally is what depletes your stem cells. So it's going to deplete stem cells in the hair follicle, which is going to make the hair follicle obviously use more of its pigment or lose more of its pigment and then the hair is going to be white. So we can go like on a journey like that. I just chose something random. We can go into any type of longevity that you're interested in. And most people are going to be interested in white hair. Apparently. Yes. Um, any type of longevity and we can tie it back to the gut and those suboptimal mechanisms there. But you did mention, you know, Alzheimer's and diabetes right now and that's something i saw you posting about and obviously that's a hot topic calling alzheimer's type 3 diabetes why who made that connection how is that connection being made yeah no this is a good question i'm super interested in this topic right now because mm -hmm. i was always under the impression that alzheimer's was strictly a genetic thing yeah. right so it's like oh alzheimer's runs in my family my dad had it that means i have a you know i might have it and i really didn't understand what the disease was so the reason it's being referred to as type three diabetes now is it's actually insulin resistance of the brain. Mm -hmm. So, so we all know if you know diabetes, a lot of people don't even know this basic information, but type two diabetes is severe insulin resistance. So yeah. my cell, just a little quick thing is you guys need insulin to get glucose into your cell. It's like the bouncer. That's like, Hey, I got to be here for you to get in. Right. <laughs> that's what I tell people. So it's like, if I am bombarding my cell with insulin all the time because I'm having blood sugar all the time, like I'm eating a lot of carbohydrates and sugar, then I'm going to have high insulin. It's bombarding the cell. The cell becomes insulin resistant. So just like I give this analogy, like, you know, when you're at a loud concert and you're by a big speaker and it's like bombarding your ear. And then afterwards you're like, wait, what? Sorry, I can't mm -hmm. hear you. Like my, my hearing sensitivity has gone down, you know, or uh -huh. as you know, so that that's like the same thing with your cell. It's been bombarded by this noise, which is, you know, high insulin. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm not responding to this anymore because there it's, it needs more and more to get the same job done. So that's how diabetes two happens. And then when you have diabetes two for too long mm -hmm. and you haven't reversed it, which you can, if you guys are listening, you have type two diabetes, type two diabetes, you can reverse it. There's been plenty of research to show that I've done it with clients too what happens is if your brain becomes insulin resistant, so now it can't use glucose for energy very well. And if you think about if I can't use glucose and I haven't taught my body how to produce ketones, I don't have any energy source for my brain. Yeah. And you guys know that your brain only weighs 2% of your body weight, but it uses 25% of your calories. It uses yeah. a lot of calories to just put all these things together and learn and communicate. And we, we have so much things that our brain does. So if you think about it, if all of a sudden my brain doesn't have a, a source of fuel, of course, my memory is going to go away. Of mm -hmm. course, my cognitive abilities will go away. The interesting thing is in a, a lot of the research they've done. So if you guys want to check out this research, I have helped with a conference called Metabolic Health Summit, which is yeah. Dominic D'Agostino's conference. I work with Angela Poth and Victoria Field, and they are so passionate about this project. And so am I, because they'll show this research where people have Alzheimer's and they'll give them ketones, like exogenous ketones. And all of a sudden these people can think, they can remember things, they can put together things, they, they recognize faces again. It's like so incredible. They've even reversed stages of Alzheimer's like they have reverse, you know, like it's stages mm -hmm. just like cancer. So I'm really big on this because it really is type three diabetes. It's insulin yeah. resistance of the brain. There is some genetic factors that can make you more prone to Alzheimer's, but I would definitely say that your lifestyle is definitely what pulls the trigger. It definitely, like if I remain insulin sensitive, my chances of developing Alzheimer's are very low, very low. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I also think that when we look at like genetic predisposition, it's true. People are more predisposed to this or the other, but what we are not considering is that a lot of the things like habits we're also inheriting from whoever we grew up with right so obviously there's a correlation if someone had alzheimer's and their 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 parents had alzheimer's or diabetes or anything else really obviously the same habits might 
permeate also in their offsprings. And those habits are going to lead for the offsprings, obviously, to be susceptible to whatever was, you know, was there in their ancestors' medical history. So, yeah, there, there are people who are, you know, who are more sensitive to, you know, gluten or whatever. Okay. There are more people who are more lactose intolerant. But obviously, if you are lactose intolerant and, and gluten intolerant, but your ancestors or your parents just lived off of like bread and, and, and you know, pasteurized milk, <laughs> you're going to, you're, you're, there's a very high correlation between that and the health, health risks that both of you have. Yes. Um, and I, yeah. Really quick on that. I love that you said, so I've been into that a lot lately too, as far as habits being passed down genetically, mm-hmm. more so than actual genetics. Yeah. So if you think about this, you, we are meant to model behavior as a child, right? Yeah. So we, between the ages, especially of zero seven, we model a lot of behavior from our parents and siblings, right? That are in the household. Mm-hmm. So if you, I'm really convinced about this stuff, by the way, like if you watch your parents and how they ate and they start their morning with cereal and orange juice and glucose, this and glucose, that, and all this blood sugar stuff, you know, that we know is going to raise your blood sugar. You develop those habits. Those are subconscious at this point where you have like people that are disposed more to diabetes, right? What I've mm-hmm. noticed is there's correlations in their family of low activity. Mm-hmm. So like not moving, not exercising, over consuming carbohydrates usually consuming like simple sugars, like sodas and like drinks that have a lot of sugar in them. Those are habits that have been passed down from your parents. Those are, that's not a genetic thing. That's a, I see it and I do it. Monkey see monkey do type thing. Mm -hmm. So unless you actually become very conscious of your patterns and behavior and what did my parents do? What did their parents do? We're just mimicking generations of behavior. So that I think is more of a factor than actual genetics. Yeah, I agree. And unfortunately, I even if we pan out a little bit, I think it's more unfortunate because uh, I think Jonathan Haidt is the person I've read uh, what I'm going to quote right now, but I might be wrong. The way that we develop strong certainty about a specific fact as children is if we see people who might disagree about specific things, but agree about like one subject. So that can be obviously the reason that it, we adopt our parents' religion or the habits or whatever it is. So what I'm saying unfortunate is if we see a bad habit like feeding kids sugary foods or you know subnutritious foods or whatever that is, we can see it also in the ha- households, but we can also go out to the world and have more people who have more disagreements with each other and have that as a common ground. And that is even being more hammered into us. So it is also true that our, you know, close tight-knit group family has those habits that are being passed on. But also if you live in a, in a community that has those habits of drinking sugary uh, sodas or eating packaged foods a lot, you're literally, you know, it's like Pavlovian, a response, yes. right? You, people grow up, they hear like uh, like a bag being opened and they are already salivating. They're already looking to see what what is is it that they're going to shove their hand into and, and you know, shove it into their mouth afterwards. So, um, yes. I mean, it is literally the most, it's probably a religion, like, to be honest with you. I think eating unhealthy is, is, a, is an indoctrination in, in a religion and we really need to be conscious about re-educating ourselves and, and having that conscious part of our brain really, you know, hone in on that and connecting to what you said before about not having good sleep, about having other issues that you're dealing with and, and that your mental stamina needs to be dealing with and also making those right decisions. That's where I see a lot of people falling. Obviously, you know, people resuming smoking, during stressful situations or obviously like making poor health choices when there is another thing that we need to deal with, like lack of sleep. Research shows that, but I think the mental component there is huge, right? I yes. need to deal with something. I need to devote all my good decision, you know, making stamina to something else. I'm going to have issues with decision-making about, about healthy choices. I mean, yes. I think, yeah. 
Yeah. Like, I love that you brought up habits because I actually want to talk about some habits that yeah. hurt your microbiome because I mm-hmm. see a lot of this. I think a lot of people, like I said, they're uninformed of what the microbiome is. And there's simple habits that I teach my clients that I think could help a lot of people listening. So one thing you got to realize is your microbiome is affected. Like I said, I love this is a skin episode because I always talk to people like what you're putting on your skin is mm-hmm. absorbing, right? So I see people like, oh my gosh, it like terrifies me. The amount of beauty products that are toxic that mm-hmm. people are using right now is like, wow, like extremely high. Yeah. So you, you know, like, I mean, we can go all into it, but the main thing I'd start teaching people to look for is like, if I wouldn't eat it, I probably shouldn't put it on my skin, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm absorbing it. Like, where does the lotion go? It's gone. It's in your pores. And people are always like, it's lotion. It's on the outside. I don't care if there's this crazy ingredient in it. I'm like, where do you think it's going? Yeah. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you our point of view because we obviously, most of what we do is formulate and reformulate and invest you know, we reinvest 90% of our free income in, in research and development. And I'll give you two things that are my opinion about that. First of all, if anyone says, oh, it's only on the outside of my body, I don't care if it has crazy ingredients, then they have a really interesting relationship with what they're putting on it because they are admitting that it's only for their psychological benefits. And why am I saying that? Is because if it's not working, then it's not working, right? But if it's working, and it's working, it means that it's going to affect our systems somehow. That's the first thing. So we're in agreement of that. But I'm going to tell you another thing. Why I do not like the phrase, if it, if I, I wouldn't need it, I'm not going to put it on my, on my skin. Just as a, uh, as a way to say this is because a normal skincare product has been sitting on a shelf anywhere between six months to two years before you put it on your skin. And if we go back to like packaged foods and things like that, we can figure out that we, I would, I would not eat anything that has lasted in a package for six to to 24 months. So the, the way we approach skincare should be a little different because if we were looking to do that, I mean, I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't expect to get benefits from a juice that I can buy in like Whole Foods or something, but has been on the shelf for a few hours, right? So the approach to skincare specifically should be a little different and different. And that's kind of why we've coined the term like biohacking skincare, right? So there there are like two schools of thought. One is what you're saying right now. Okay, I'm going to put only things that are are clear to me. I can read the label and say, oh, I know what that is. I can pronounce this, right? And that school of thought is very good. It's just not corresponding with the reality. And the reality is the product is not like made right there and you're putting it on your skin. And even if it, it would have, we need to have the, you know, that that active ingredient we want to supply to your skin, like stable through your skin barrier, et cetera. That's number one. But also you need to create a symphony, like a relationship between stability of molecules, good delivery method, and active ingredients. The other side of it are obviously like toxic, whether it's like medical grade or like normal pharmacy kind of skincare, but all of them, what they're trying to do is say, I need to make huge amounts of this. I need to have it survive, you know, a truck driving in the heat and getting there at least smelling okay. You know what I'm saying? Like that's honestly advising to a lot of skincare companies huge ones as well as small ones what they're afraid of the most is that the product's not going to smell which is another completely different discussion discussion about like fragrance is really bad that's their main concern not does it actually improve your skin (laughs) no no oh oh no that's it's not a discussion absolutely not so it's like number one fragrance number two what how does the customer feels when they put it on their skin and not only physically but also mentally did we project the right image of whatever, you know, we did we brainwash them the right way, right? So that's number two. And number three is I'm not that they're not getting sued. That's like the three main, okay? Yeah. So you're not going to see there something that is really going to create a change in the skin. Medical grade is a little different. It's basically, okay, I need to create results, but I need to create results now. So I don't care about your endocrine system. 
I don't care about, you know, how it's going to affect you in 10 years. I don't care how it affects your brain, your fertility, your hormones, whatever that is. But having ingredients, even if they're very natural, you know, travel in truck in the heat or whatever for, you know, uh, across America and having no, having no advanced chemistry there to stabilize them well is a hazard in and on its own. So what we're trying to do, like biohacking skincare, is to say, okay, we understand the end results we're trying to get. We understand what we want to try and avoid, right? As far as like endocrine disruption, et cetera. And we're going to make the best relationship between the two because it's not a win-win. It's not like if I'm putting coconut oil on my skin, you know, it's if it's been become rancid, it's not good for you, okay? Yes. And we're not even talking about mold and stuff like that. But I do want to talk, you know, that was just a little, like, uh, I went on a little tirade there. Tangent. But, uh, <laughs> no, it was a good there. tangent, because thank you really quick for correcting. You're right. I have said that in the past, and it's more to get people away from just using crazy mm-hmm. ingredients. Yeah. Where they, Like you said, they can't pronounce 50 ingredients that mm-hmm. are on there. I'm like, would you eat that? But you are <laughs> right. They're different. They're totally different mechanisms as far as eating and putting on skin. I'm just trying to get people awareness that it's like, hey. Yeah the shaving cream you're using and the cologne and the face wash and the toner and the, you know, all of this. Yeah. They're all having 40 and toxic and toxic ingredients. So you're putting like a hundred ingredients on your skin per day that are like, Ooh, you know? Yeah. And I think it's the most important thing that you need to understand is basically you really want to feel, look and feel better tomorrow than you are today. Right. If you are only thinking about, and, and we, we can talk about people putting uh, this, the wrong type of lotion on their face. We can talk about people doing too much to themselves as far as like plastic surgery or even working out too hard or, you know, telling themselves, you know, I don't feel good right now emotionally. I'm going to eat this burger because it's going to make me feel better. All of those decisions we're making right now to feel like the best right now without thinking of the future, that is part of what leads humans like a bad, in a, into a bad path, right? There should always be like a balance between satisfying the ego, satisfying the emotional state right now. We don't want it to get too bad, you know, that that's, has issues on its own. But understanding that we're going to have the same consciousness, whatever, tomorrow, next year, and we need to take care of that person too. Yes, know? yes. Not the, that you just nailed it on the head, this instant gratification yeah. is what we're kind of, and, and it makes sense if we're living in a high stress place, because mm-hmm. in a high stress place, you're worried about survival in the moment. You're not mm-hmm. worried about thriving yeah. two years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, you know? Yeah. And we're getting, again, like the more deep this conversation becomes, it's really apparent that we're only talking about like the two, those two brains, right? Getting those two brains, not, not aligned as well. Okay. The you know, having the vagus nerve, which connects them as far as like the communication in a good state, etc. That's a whole different conversation, but really getting those into a very correct state. Do you do a coherent state? A coherent coherent state. Like they're, you know, yes, yes. I wanted to take a quick break for this episode to chat with you about our Young Goose skincare product and our special offer for our podcast listeners. Our products are the world's first biohacking skincare products. And what they aim to do is to reboot uh, your skin cells to a youthful state so they can correct the cellular damage that is accumulated over time. Our favorite products and the one that we recommend everyone to start with are is our care concentrated moisturizer that can be used as both a day and a night cream. What this product is really specially delivering to the skin is our NAD precursors that are nano-sized and lipolized. They are both NR and NMN. And what they aim to do is to fuel the repair processes that our skin engages in by activating also our sirtuins, which are our anti-aging genes or our longevity genes that are responsible for DNA repair and basically repairing who we are really as human beings. In order to do that in the most effective way, 
we combine it with our enhanced resveratrol, which is fermented resveratrol that allows resveratrol to be 50 times more bioavailable in the skin and actually non-toxic because most people don't know that resveratrol is actually toxic for the skin since the skin doesn't have the enzyme to break it down like our gut does. So by fermenting the the resveratrol and introducing the enzymes in the fermentation process, we can obviously make it non-toxic and 50 times more bioavailable. And Care Concentrated Moisturizer also has 10 more active ingredients that support those processes, such as CoQ10, PQQ, two forms of vitamin C, and even turmeric and B vitamins. This is the first product we recommend. The second is eye care, which is a version of care specifically for the eyes. It also contains our NAD precursors and also contains very, very advanced peptides, our proprietary complex that includes GHKCU, a copper peptide that is very famous for its anti-aging abilities. The third product we recommend is our ProCare Serum. And that is a very special serum because it interacts with the mTOR pathway, which is a pathway that is very famous for its ability to affect how we age. So this product does a few things, but really what it does, it eliminates senescent cells, which are cells that harm our skin because our skin couldn't clear them very well. So it eliminates those, regenerates the skin. It stimulates the mitochondria with lilac uh, cell culture extract. And it also has a very strong and effective form of vitamin C that is well known to help the skin regenerate itself. Combining these three products by first applying ProCare, then eye care, and then care will give you the best results you've ever experienced for your skin and that we guarantee. If you would like to try these products, you can head over to younggoose.com to our website. And when checking out, please use the promo code PODCAST20 in all capital letters in order to get 20% off your first purchase. Again, head over to younggoose.com and use promo code PODCAST20 in all capitals for 20% off your first purchase. And now let's get back to the podcast. Do you do anything to take care of your emotional uh, journey? Is that something that you're saying, okay, I understand the relationship between the two brains. I take care of my gut brain as much as I can and I feed it the right things. That's one type of nutrition. But do you have any take on like emotional nutrition or, or conscious nutrition? Yes. I love this question. You're like so <laughs> full of good questions. But to be honest, the emotional centers and the gut are highly connected mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And you realize this with the vagal nerve, right? So I, I always, when people are healing their gut or their brain, there has to be emotional aspects there. My mm-hmm. favorite, I'll just go into like top five, maybe because mm-hmm. there's so many, yeah. uh, breath, breath work. Breath work yes. is so huge because it can literally teach your body how to go from a sympathetic fight or flight place to a parasympathetic rest and digest place. If I'm always eating in a sympathetic fight or flight place, I'm not even digesting my food. Right. So that will even happen. So what I teach people, my favorite, there's a lot of breathing techniques, but I really like uh, box breathing. It's called box Mm -hmm. breathing. So you just inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. So it's like a 16 count breath. They've actually discovered this with Navy SEALs because they showed in research, they have to calm their nervous systems before they go into a mission so that they can react appropriately. And they were showing that within six breaths of doing box breathing, they were able to switch their nervous system to parasympathetic. Yeah. So I tell, I'm like, dude, if this works for Navy SEALs, it can work for you before a meeting or like people even wake up stressed. So I teach people do box, my people with higher anxiety I teach Mm -hmm. them to do box breathing first thing in the morning, start in a parasympathetic state. You know, I also really like, I wear the aura ring and they actually have breath work on there. Yeah. Yeah. Biohackers unite. (laughs) I really like the aura ring. It's so the reason I like it. Yeah. The technology is cool, but it's the awareness it builds around your habits that I really like. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's like, I, the first thing I do every morning now is check my sleep. Did Mm -hmm. I get good REM sleep? Did I get good deep sleep? Was my sleep latency good? How was my heart rate? What was it measures everything. But I tell people, if you didn't get a good night's sleep, it like literally you can go to the explore tab and start with a breath work, five yeah. minutes, seven minutes. They have tons of different ones. So I'd say breath work is number one. Also, just when you realize yourself get triggered, let's say you get in a fight with someone or you're fighting with a spouse or something, 
do breath work because you can get out of that triggered space, yeah. you know, before you respond. It really allows uh, time between the stimulus and the response to respond mm-hmm. better, not react, you know? So I'd say number one is breath work. Number two, I would say gratitude. Honestly, mm-hmm. I do a gratitude practice every single day. I have a gratitude journal. It has made a tremendous impact on my my mental state because yeah. I, it's funny because when I say gratitude to people that are in a bad spot, they're like, eh, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I hear gratitude, but I'm not grateful for anything. I'm like, dude, it's a practice. So when you start, maybe you can't even think of anything, but you're like, really search. Like I was grateful that someone let me in on the freeway. It could be like that simple. It could be, I was really grateful the sunset was so beautiful tonight. I, I was really grateful that I don't, it could just be something so small. I was grateful that I got fresh strawberries at the farmer's market. You know, like it starts priming your brain to look for the positive without you even trying. So the more you do a gratitude practice, you're literally rewiring neuropathways that are going from a negative place to a positive place. And it's almost like you don't even try. I just promise you adopt a a gratitude practice for a month. You'll, you'll see what I mean. It's like I, the proof's in the pudding. (laughs) Frankly, I'm I'm one of those people who had a really hard time with gratitude, really hard time to get, get the understanding of, you know, what it really means. And how many times can I say that I'm grateful for my parents or my significant other or my family? It, it, became kind of monotonous very fast and I lost interest until someone told me like play a game with yourself play a trick with yourself try and think that whatever you are not grateful for whatever you're not saying that you're grateful for or acknowledging you're not gonna you're gonna wake up tomorrow without that thing and you're trying and believe me you can go all day just going through things that you are you know, what's like grateful for just uh, taking them off the list. Okay, I said that. I'm going to wake up with that tomorrow. You know, your, you know, your, your toenails, your, the, the silver, <laughs> I don't know, the, the glass, you know, the glasses you really like. I don't know anything really. You would find a way to be grateful for it because you understand that it's not a given that you're going to have that tomorrow or anything like that. So I agree with you. Yeah. Yes. And I love that you admitted like it was hard to start because I think that is the truth for people, guys. When I say that, like I said, I do get sometimes this response of like, like, because they were like, you're just trying to be positive. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not trying just to be positive and act like there's not like bad things in the world. I'm just trying to get my brain to train to focus on those things more because what we train that our subconscious does rule our reality, to be honest. And so breathwork and gratitude. And then the third thing I would say is just like, so I love the relationship between the gut barrier and like life, because I do think Uh it makes a lot of sense. There's an interesting, so you know, Zach Bush, right? Zach Bush, intelligence of nature. I, so I'm an affiliate for them. I love their product. It helps increase, you know, microbiome communication. But one thing I thought was interesting is when he did studies with ion and leaky gut, Mm -hmm. what they found was when people healed the gut lining, the gut barrier, they felt like they had better boundaries in life. Interesting. Right. So people, they would ask them, what mental benefits do you see any difference? And people were like, I just feel like I could like stand up to my, my boss at work. That's usually really degrading. Or I finally stood up to my mom and had boundaries with her. So it's interesting. I would say boundaries are my third as far as emotional, because you forget that you can control who has access to you and how they treat you. And I just see this really common. It's weird because it's related with leaky gut. I promise people that have really bad leaky gut. I'm not saying it always correlates. I'm just saying I'm seeing a high correlation is that they could have weak boundaries, which make them emotionally up and down, right? Because they're letting people influence them. So I'd say like set limits, like turn off notifications, like set limits with people who have access to you. I've done this, especially the last year. And I can say I like literally my mental state has changed a lot. Because you're exposed, let's say you entertain that toxic relationship or the toxic boss, or you let people treat you like that, you're allowing that energetic space into your space all the time. And then you're confused why your emotions don't feel good. And to me, I'm like, as soon as I set barriers with people, like, hey, I would love to support you, but that's not my problem. Or like, I I don't have space for that. Or like, I need to prioritize my positivity, my mental health. I just think it's a big game changer. I think people are afraid to do it. But I would just say, don't be afraid to do it. If you know someone is triggering you a lot, really negative, always bringing you down, draining you, 
you got to get real with yourself and say like, I got to have boundaries because my mental health is really important. Yeah, Not everyone else's, you know? I agree. And I think it, that's, it's obviously a habit, right? Yes. And if we're getting, we're getting back to like building good habits, bad habits, uh, making the right decisions, obviously even, so I agree with you that obviously improving our gut does improve our mental state. Therefore, the, the, the self-worth that we have, therefore, the mental boundaries that we feel that we're allowed to, to put and to kind of prioritize our health, ourselves, etc. But even if you look at it from a standpoint of like that decision fatigue I was talking about before, so mm-hmm. you can imagine that we have a certain, certain amount of decisions we can make a day, like good or bad. Yes. And we're basically like, if we are bombarded with too many kind of decisions that are not habitual that we need to make we're going to fatigue that muscle of you know trying to make good decisions or or the muscles that you know obviously just navigates towards a good decision like prioritizing yourself so if you do not have the you know gut health and that is not helping you out you're you're not in a place where you where you're automatically like making good decisions you are going to falter somewhere you know, and a lot of times it's within those boundaries. And yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me uh, yes. what you're saying. Good. I'm glad. Like it, yeah. they're just all connected, you know, emotional intelligence and learning. I'm also big on like journaling in general. Like if you yeah. have feelings, start journaling, get them out, get them out of your head. Cause if you get them out on paper, sometimes pe- I don't, I hear these people that are just like, you got to watch like all the input that you put in throughout the day. So that means your thoughts. That means what yeah. you're listening to. That means what you're scrolling. Who are you following? So mm-hmm. if you start to become more conscious, like we're saying, I'm big on the decision fatigue as well. And a lot of people are in bad habits in general. They're scrolling mindlessly. They're listening to things that are bringing them down. The news, fear, they're exposing themselves to all this kind of harmful stimuli. And they're mm-hmm. not even, like you said, aware of it because their decision fatigue is gone. So they're all mm-hmm. habitual stuff. The more that's why I'm big on habits, creating yeah. good habits, because I mean, my morning routine, my night routine, I don't have to think about any of it. It's all habitual. It's all yeah. like no decisions have to make, but then I can make decisions where I need to. So on my client calls, when they're telling me about their problems, I can have better decision capacity because I actually have the capacity yeah. versus it's gone. You know what I mean? It's okay. Huge. So that was number three. What, oh, that was four. four. Okay. I would say, no, I just said journaling. I think journaling okay. is the last one I would do is just like journaling. How do I feel? And be like, like, be brutally honest with yourself. Like, I think some people hold back where they're like, no, I'm not really mad at that person. I'm like, dude, no one's going to read this. Like, put exactly what you want. Like, there's even, I heard of a concept, I haven't done it, but called a dark journal. And you uh-huh. can even write down like angry thoughts and you can like burn the paper, you know, but they're like just getting, practicing um, emotions, like, like getting them out instead mm-hmm. of just letting them fester and like create havoc in your body because emotions do create chemical responses that are not beneficial beneficiary to our systems you know yeah i mean we all have i think that the average is like 70 percent of our thoughts are negative or like 80 percent of our thoughts are negative and obviously if you're in that loop you're just going from thought to thought it's quite difficult to pay attention to that but if you're writing some thoughts on paper you're putting things into perspective right you're like okay i've had this thought and yesterday I was thinking that negative thing or contingency and that now seems foolish. So maybe this is foolish as well. Like I can see something I did a week ago, the way I responded because I thought this was a big deal and now I see it's not a big deal. So today I had, um, I switched to a, to a biological dentist and mm-hmm. I had my, like, um, my, um, feeling, uh, changed and stuff like that and I was sitting in, in the chair and obviously it wasn't pleasant and I, and I was thinking everything everything is tolerable to, to some extent right it's it's how long it's going to last that drives us crazy as human beings right and I think to put things into perspective of time is really helpful whether this feeling whatever you're feeling good bad whatever will time make it worse or better you know if time yes. will make it better you know be patient let it let time do its its course if it's something acute right time's going to make it worse i don't know i have an open wound if i'm not going to take care of it time is going to make it worse i should probably take care of it but most most things time is actually a, a very wise 
you know, yes, whatever guy. In, yes. And is going to actually, I don't know if solve, but definitely it's going to soften a lot of things that seem, seem harsh right now. So it's, I think it's a good perspective. And that perspective is kind of journaling all of your, you know, neurotic thoughts and trying to figure out what happens to them with time. I think it's, it's part of meditation. It's kind of, you know, written meditation. Yes, it is. Like you said, meditation. I mean, I'm, that's another one I would throw in, but I know there's like so many. I'm like, oh my Do you want to give it number five meditation? No, really, honestly, meditation, because I just think the realization of recognizing what your thoughts actually are is mm -hmm. powerful yeah. because like you said, our brains are prediction machines. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our thoughts are repetitive and a lot of our thoughts are repetitive worries. Mm -hmm. So this could happen in the future. This could happen in the future. And I just repeat them. As soon as I actually become aware of my thoughts, I can question them. Yeah. So like, let's say a thought comes, I question my thoughts all the time, guys. I don't even like, I think if you believe everything, all of your thoughts, that's a problem. Because yeah. if you have a lot of negative thoughts that come in that say, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, you'll never be successful. Any of those thoughts that I entertain that I actually believe will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if I'm actually able to catch my thoughts and be like, huh, that's an interesting thought. What brought that? I'm going to question that. It can literally start to change your reality. Like I've, I've practiced this for the last few years, pretty heavy. And I can tell you that I don't always trust my thoughts. If there's a day I got bad sleep, I don't really trust my thoughts as much the next day because I've realized they're not as positive. If I like last night, I had amazing sleep. I got like eight hours, 30 minutes, deep REM, deep sleep, you know, and I woke up and I felt like super happy today. And I'm like, okay, this is a day where I'm probably going to trust my thoughts more because they're very like driven and, and success. And you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I would just say questioning your thoughts and your beliefs and being aware of them is pretty huge. Yeah, I love that. I um, I remember when I was in my kind of mid twenties, dealing with a lot of like the the things that come come with being in military service for for a while. You know, getting out of that, growing as a human being. There's a lot of like things that this interaction, you know, isn't very positive sometimes. And reading. Doing the work by Byron Katie. I don't know if you've yes, ever I've re yes, I've done her. I've read like all her books. And that's why I that's why we get along, dude. She teaches <laughs> you to question your thoughts. Yes. Yeah. So if anyone that's I think it's a whole system, and it would be we kind of described what it is, right? But I think if anyone wants to go into that rabbit hole of like looking at their thoughts, if your thought, if you want to biohack your thoughts read Byron Katie. Um, yes. Highly recommended. Loving what it what is is one of her Loving books. It. And um, I need your love is it true? That one's yeah. good. If you're if you're a people pleaser, read that one. That's what yeah. I say. So you know Jenny Lynn, I feel like we can go forever, but uh, I know we really good. <laughs> what I do want to kind of point out is that it is very apparent from our conversation that you've you've done the work and that you have a wealth of knowledge that is translatable, which what I mean is this. One of the things that we had in the past, one of the companies that we had uh, and was running until recently was a company that took good ideas and make products out of them, like a consulting firm, especially in the biohacking field and in, in tech. And what is apparent is most of the time, the people who are the most knowledgeable have a hard time translating it to the people who need to go out to the field and either use that technology or sell that technology or train that technology, train others. And it is very unique to find someone that also has the wealth of knowledge, but also is able to pass it on, train, relate to different people, not to be in their own head and, and have that, again, that dance between accumulating a lot of knowledge and being able to process that knowledge and package it so someone else can can um, digest it and that is why we have we have you on this podcast right you know yeah. the Yangu's team that this podcast yes. is mine we love you as a person but we, thank you same so what we love the most is the ability to translate it so what i would like is for you to let people know how they can reach out, like how can they get trained by you, how they can basically tap into that knowledge and get specific guidance, which I feel is is imperative to anyone who doesn't want to spend, you know, like their next decade sourcing the knowledge that you already have. 
Yes. Thank you. And thank you so much. Cause I, I love you guys too. I met you in Austin immediately. I was like, okay, soul fam, this is my, these are my people, you know, <laughs> cause we're just passionate. Yeah. We're passionate people, you know? So the best ways to get in touch with me is I'm on, um, I'm active on TikTok and Instagram. It's at Jenny Lynn fit, J E N N I O Y N F I T. Um, I'm active on those platforms, but the main thing I'm building right now has been my membership site. It's mm-hmm. about, it's called guthealthforlife.com. Super easy, but it's actually because I'm only one person and I do work one-on-one with clients, but I am full at the moment. You can get on my waiting list if you really want to work with me um, one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And I would love that too. I probably have some openings um, in September, but I, I really want to help more people than I can just one-on-one. So mm-hmm. I started my membership site to give people a resource of, 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 I have courses on leaky gut. I have courses on candida. I have courses on insulin management, you know? So it's really to create something you can just log on. And this is like your school. You can literally log on you. There's different courses do have like different videos and it can keep your spot, but I want to reach the masses. Honestly, this is such a huge, I can just tell you when I started my TikTok, I was not like, I was not expecting it would blow up and it did. And I can say, I don't take that being like, oh, I'm so cool. I take it as, oh, gut health is a big issue right now. The the reason these videos are getting shared so many times is people are like, oh, this sounds like you. This sounds, you know, they're sending it to their friends and family. So I would say the main, the main way, if you want to learn about gut health and, and blood sugar regulation and inflammation and detox, my website is made for that. I literally, you log on, you can go at your own pace there's already like many courses up, but if you just want to start and read one course every month, or you can just binge watch them and do all of them in a month, like whatever. But I continue to release courses because I'm like, dude, if you're on this journey of education, I hope that you keep learning. You know, I hope that I get these tests. Like I had a testimonial come in the other day that my, a girl did my candida protocol and lost 30 Mm -hmm. pounds just from doing that. Right. It's insane. She literally lost 30 pounds in like four months or something. It was like pretty dramatic. And I've never had any interaction with her besides her taking my course and her emailing me. And I was like, that's cool, right? Like that is what I was trying to do is I'm trying to, as much as I can, like you can always DM me on Instagram. I'm trying to get better at like being quick with them, but I'm a little overwhelmed sometimes. But if you really just want to start learning the gut health for the gut health for life membership. So it's just 39 bucks a month. You can cancel anytime. But like, if you're continuing to get value from it. I tell people, I'm like, you're probably spending that on DoorDash in like a day. And you could actually, anyway, like take your, take your education into your own hands. And I do think that I do a good job about breaking down things simply because I understand people don't have an extensive knowledge like I do. So I try to always bring it real simple and you can always ask questions on my site too. So I do answer members questions. So I'd say those are the best ways to get in touch with me is guthealthforlife.com and Instagram and TikTok um, at Jenny Linfit. Understood. Well, yeah, and we'll have all of those links in the description of the podcast. So Jenny Lynn, I super appreciate the time that you that you yeah. gave us today. It was wonderful. And we definitely will continue being in touch. And I hope to see you in this podcast yes. again. Thank you. Me too. I appreciate you guys and what you're doing. It's huge. Right. Take care. All right. Talk to you later. You too. Bye.